welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Chris. I hardly recognise the person who's been described. I was reflecting as I drove the three kilometres from our home in Gosford here that this is actually the first time I've been invited to preach at a non-Church of Christ church on the coast. So... I thank you. I've preached many times in three churches, but not here on the coast. I believe and I'm sure that you will have experienced that it's getting harder and harder to be a committed Christian, particularly an evangelical Christian in Australia. We're not physically persecuted yet but it's certainly getting tougher if we're even wanting to share the love and grace of God. I've been listening to the radio this morning to the news trying to find out whether there's any verdict yet on the Israel Folau code of conduct hearing that's happening over this weekend. I'm sure most of you know that Israel Folau is a committed Christian person who is an um, international rugby union player, an absolutely brilliant rugby union player. But he's in real trouble with the rugby union body of Australia and beyond that because... Uh, some weeks ago, he posted on Instagram a, basically it was a passage from the Bible. Uh, it was centred right around 1 Corinthians 6 and verses 9 uh, to 11. And uh, I'm sure that he was simply trying to share the good news of the gospel. But he has been accused of expressing hate speech and being discriminatory. Can I just address those two very briefly? The whole idea of hate speech, I think that what he was seeking to do in the passage from 1 Corinthians 6 was to express how much God loves us and if we repent, we can be forgiven and inherit the opportunity to be with God for eternity. That's all he was trying to express, which I think is actually the essence of what we believe and who we are as Christians. So it's not hate speech, it's actually sharing the love of God. In terms of 
whether it's discriminatory or not, the passage that he quoted um, expresses the kinds of sins that are common to human beings. For instance, it talks about thieving. It talks about telling lies. They're two of the categories that are mentioned. Now, I can't really speak for you, but um, that gets me. I'm, I'm, I'm included in that. So there's no discrimination. We're actually all involved in the need for grace. We're all involved in the need for repentance and forgiveness. And we mess up every day and unless we live in an intimate, organic relationship with God through Jesus, then in actual fact we're missing the essence of life and being Christian. Let me just read to you from the uh, message translation the passage that Folau actually sought to uh, share with Australian and other people. Don't you realise that this is not the way to live? Unjust people who don't care about God will not be joined in his kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it, don't qualify as citizens of God's kingdom. That's what he shared. Now, it was, I think, from the authorised version, so it had some terminology that um, was maybe a bit antiquated, but it mentioned hell, and my understanding of hell is that it's wherever God is not. So those who choose not to have God in their lives won't have to live with him for eternity. Is that hateful or is that actually just taking people for what they have chosen in their own lives? Unfortunately, there is a sense in the community that somehow or another Christians are lacking in compassion. About five years ago, there was a piece of research done by McCrindle Research where they had a sample of people who were uh, expressed themselves to be not Christian. And one of the questions that they asked people was, uh, what are the main blockers to you either becoming a Christian or even strongly entertaining the possibility? And the number one blocker for Australian people in that research was church abuse. And I get that. that. That's absolutely diabolical in terms of our witness that there have been primarily leaders who have abused other people. But coming equal second was what um, people refer to as judgmentalism. In other words, somehow or another, out there, they've got the opinion that we are judgmental and I would say the opposite of judgmentalism is compassion and lacking in compassion. I don't believe that, but actually that's the way we are seen. How will we deal with that? Um, under God, what do we need 
to actually be and do to expel the idea that we are people who hate or are discriminatory in unfair kinds of ways. Right throughout the scripture, the nature of God is presented as being a compassionate God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses, probably Moses is the author of that, says, above all else, God is a compassionate God. Above all else, God is a compassionate God. When we look at the life of Jesus, on many occasions in the Gospels, it's expressed really clearly that Jesus is, was, a compassionate leader and person. I want to just instance two of them quickly from uh, the message translation. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 37. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Notice that uh, Jesus had compassion on people who he saw deeper than the outside. He looked at them and saw, although they might presenters okay they were like sheep without a shepherd I think actually if we had compassion on people around us today we would not accept necessarily their outside appearance as being powerful or okay or whatever we would see so many people as sheep without a shepherd the next one is chapter 14 and um, they were possibly separate examples. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. Now, wasn't Jesus' responsibility because he went on to feed them? That's one of the um, feedings of the and the 5,000 people. Uh, he had no responsibility to feed them. It was their fault that they had become hungry, um, but he had compassion on them and met their need. That says to me, I need to be compassionate, even if it's the other person's fault that they're in some kind of trouble or struggling. And if it was me, I might be in worse trouble. So I need to walk a mile in their shoes. Fairly recently, I was just reading the, the message in the Old Testament and I came across a proverb that I'd never really focused on before, but it was expressed in a way that uh, hadn't impacted me clearly. Proverbs 25 and verse 8, don't jump to conclusions. There may be a perfectly good explanation for what you just saw. Whoa. Wow. To walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. 
many, many years ago, I was impacted quite deeply by a book that's now become almost um, uh, a classic. The, heaven, the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the author of that book, at one stage, expresses that he was travelling on a train in the New York underground. And uh, it was a Sunday morning, and I think the train was relatively crowded, but he said at a particular station, a man got in with some children. And Covey says that the children ran amok in the carriage, causing mayhem. And the person who came into the carriage with the children was sitting beside Stephen Covey. And he said, when the temperature in the carriage had risen significantly and he was feeling frustrated about the way these children were behaving, he turned to the person beside him and said to him something like, excuse me, sir, but would you please control your children? They're running amok and causing mayhem in this carriage. And Covey records that the person basically came back to reality and focused on what was happening and then said something like, oh, oh, I am so sorry. Um, I guess my children are having as much trouble as I am with the fact that their mother, my wife, died less than an hour ago. Covey said in a split second he changed his attitude towards that man and those children so that he then wanted to say to him, oh, can I help in some kind of way? Be careful. There may be a good explanation for what you just saw. So that we are open, compassionate people who recognise that even if it's another person's fault, they may need somebody to walk alongside them. Now, what I'm talking about, this is not some mushy kind of sentimental gush, you know. Um, this is actually the heart of God. It's actually very courageous as well. It's persistent, this compassion. Uh, I, I actually love, again, a passage... Um, from, from the message translation where um, in, uh, in Romans chapter 9 uh, Paul says compassion doesn't originate in our bleeding hearts or moral sweat but in God's mercy in other words we're not called to be bleeding hearts to be people who are soppy and an easy take for those who would manipulate or whatever we need to be courageous. We're not meant in any sense to compromise our values, to change our beliefs or what we preach or whatever. We're simply called to recognise that most people are like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is actually the feeling part of love. It's 
translating what is the key nature of God, God is love, into our everyday experience and living it out so that we feel with and for other people. So the real issue actually goes down below compassion here and asks the question, have we experienced deeply and personally the unconditional love of God? I know that you and I know in our heads that God loves us, but have we let that go from here to here so that it changes us from the inside out? John the Baptist, in expressing the message of Jesus very pertinently at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, said, this is the person who will bring the Holy Spirit within you, who will change you from the inside out. And the change comes first and maybe even deepest from a security in God's love that allows us to be different people. Uh, what's the importance of that? Uh, as I reflect on my life and... Uh, possibly yours as well. My deepest need, my deepest dilemma is insecurity. I might look okay to you, but actually some of my self-talk is very negative when I muck up or don't do well or whatever. And that can easily lead us to self-doubt. And I love where... It says in 1 John 4 that we should actually let God determine who we are, not our own self-talk and, you know, putting ourselves down. Um, so that in actual fact, if the love of God goes deeply within us, the work of God will be the deepest work we need, that I need and I believe you need as well. And that is that God will never leave us. Did you realise that? I'm sure your history has no relevance whatsoever as to whether God loves you or not. My history has no relevance as to whether God loves me. In fact, it says when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest expression of God's love. What is needed in the world, I would believe, more than any other relational capacity is unconditional love. I learned that in psych. It's actually the key message of the Bible. Uh, why is it so uh, crucial? Because of my insecurity, I am actually often thinking that I have to perform well in order to be okay. And God says to me, it's not about performance. I love you. And you'll never put me off. Some of us um, would find that hard to believe because unfortunately we may, in human to human terms, never have experienced anything like that kind of love. And that's perhaps the greatest person-to-person -person tragedy that there is. But even when we experience it in a human-to-human -human sense, it can be life-transforming. Um, 
Um, Pastor Chris mentioned that Marg and I have been married 52 years in about a week's time. And uh, I thank God for the opportunity to share life and marriage with Marg. She is the nicest person I have ever met. And when you've lived with somebody for 52 years and you say that, I really feel absolutely blessed. But I also feel really blessed that she decided to marry me because she actually married somebody she didn't know very well. I think this is not just me. I mean, why would you let the person whom you want to marry get to know? <laughs> so what you do is present the best side until you've got them. And once you've got them, then they either gradually or more than gradually get to know what they got. <laughs> and I know personally and I know many other people whose lives have actually been transformed by a partner who is giving unconditional love. I'm with you no matter what. In human to human terms, let alone God to human terms, that is the most important life-changing capacity that we will ever experience. The unconditional love of God. And that, in compassion terms, actually comes into our lives through the Spirit of God working in us. There's a beautiful... Um, passage in Colossians chapter 3 and it's the equivalent of the fruit of the spirit passage in Galatians 5. I just want to read it to you from the message again. Therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. That is expressing the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit have as their deepest and their pivotal impact an inside-out change through the security in the love of God. You and I can grow to be more and more like Christ. I know it takes a long while. I know, I'm sure as far as Margaret is concerned, it's too slow. But actually, this is real. And this change of heart within us as Christians allows the compassion that will be effectively recognised by our community. About eight years ago, I had the privilege of uh, speaking at the annual retreat for the chaplains of the, the Protestant chaplains of the Armed Forces of Australia. And uh, I went for four days to a monastery, actually, a, a retreat centre in the southern highlands uh, near Barrel. And there were about 30 um, chaplains from all over Australia from the three forces. Uh, I had the privilege of giving input each day but before my first in input each day there was a chapel service and I must admit that I was a little bit preoccupied 
um, during the chapel services because I was speaking straight afterwards. But I remember very vividly the last morning. I don't remember much about the initial part of the service, but at one stage, the chaplain who was leading that particular service said something like, you all know me well. I've been in chaplaincy for about 20 years. He said, you know, I've been deployed overseas several times. I've actually been in harm's way. You also know that I didn't have a good year last year. I had a relatively severe stroke. He said it affected one side of my body, it affected my speech, it affected some of my capacity to think. He said, I was in the rehabilitation facility for the armed forces, which is a brilliant resource and facility, and all of the professional people were trying to help me. And he said, I was irritable, angry, and grumpy. He said, I was saying to God, I've put my life on the line for you. I've been as faithful as I could possibly imagine to you over many, many years, and this is how I end up. He said, the physios, the occupational therapists, um, the speech therapists, they're all coming and I just wanted to tell the whole lot of them to go away. He said, one morning, a young woman came to the foot of my bed and I'd never seen her before. And she said to me gently and quietly, I hear you're not doing too well. He said, I grunted. So she thought that was enough permission to keep going. (laughs) She said, do you mind if I read you something? He said, I grunted again. And she pulled from her pocket, he said, what I recognised as a New Testament. And she opened it up and this is what she read. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger, the one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced 
that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. Wow. He said, she closed the New Testament, put it back in her pocket. As much as I was willing, he said, she looked me in the eye gently and said, this is the word of God for you today. And then she left. He said, I've made extensive inquiries about who that person was and nobody knows. When he said that, the hairs went up on the back of my neck. You know, sometimes we're visited by angels unaware. Somehow or another, the love of God was expressed through the word of God. And then he said... And I'm back, folks. And he raised the arm of the side that had been numb. And there was a cheer went up from the group in that chapel that day. Do you and I believe that? That the love of God is so deep and resourceful, so brilliant that he'll find a way even when we are really struggling. He'll never leave us. Nothing can separate. And if that is true, why am I worrying so much about the mundane? If God is on my side and your side, what else matters? If I could live every moment in the security of that, if you could live every moment in the security of that, we would get up differently every day. This is the most important good news and it's expressed, of course, most poignantly in the death and resurrection of Jesus as we have just celebrated. The first passage that I read from Matthew had a sentence right at the end of it that I wonder whether you actually took notice of it. In the context of compassion... Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, I think there is a biblical link between compassion and living securely in the love of God and the harvest. Uh, John chapter 4 is that beautiful story about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman who somehow or another in about a half hour conversation Jesus expressed to her a love and an acceptance not of her behaviour he let her know that actually you know she'd been married a few times and the person she was living with now is not your husband so it wasn't as if he was uh, bending his um, convictions or whatever and it changed that woman's life Somehow or another, the compassion of Jesus for a woman who probably came to the well outside the city because she wasn't welcome at wells inside the city of Sychar and that brought a revival to that city. It's my belief and my prayer that as you and I experience the security of God's love and then are able to express the compassion of God that no matter what people out there believe about us, 
They will come to see the love of God. They will come to know the good news that every one of us needs to repent on a regular basis. It's not just about conversion. We need to be forgiven day by day in order to have that intimate, organic relationship with God. I believe God is calling me. He's calling you. He's calling the churches of Australia and of the Western world. Go deeper in order to be able to go further. Have that intimate, organic security in God that allows us to be out there for them. And then in the context of the Samaritan woman, Jesus says, the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. He said, you might look out on the fields and think they're not actually ready, but I can tell you if you look deeper, the harvest is ready. I trust that God, through his spirit, will be light and salt through you and me, that we will be God's colours and flavours of love and grace to change this community and our world for him. Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for that love. An unconditional love, not a compromising love, but just a love that reaches to each one of us and says, I'm for you. I'm on your side. I buried for you every moment of every day and I'll never leave you. In the security of that, I pray that we will be people who are willing to risk being out there in compassionate ways, courageous ways, non-compromising ways as the heart and the flavour of God. Thank you for that brilliant and wonderful opportunity and privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Dot dot